This episode of Theology for the People, I speak with Stephen and Teresa Yates. Stephen and Teresa have been missionaries in Eastern Europe for a long time. They live in the country of Moldova. And one of the things Stephen is really passionate about is sustainable church planting, especially in the developing world, which is the majority of the world. He's really passionate about the role of job creation in the mission of God. Additionally, Stephen and Teresa in this episode, they share about how the war in Ukraine has affected their lives and their ministry in Moldova. And finally, they share how we can be praying for them and their family, as well as for the church in Moldova. Here's the episode. Welcome to Theology for the People. This is Nick Cady, and I'm joined today by some friends. We are recording this in the Republic of Moldova, in the capital of Chisinau. And I'm here with Stephen and Teresa Yates. So welcome, guys. Hey, thank you. Hi, thank you. Yeah, good to have you. So I'm I'm visiting you guys, and I'm excited for my listeners to get to know you because I, I know that you guys have been friends and also people I've looked up to for a long time, and I think that our, our listeners would benefit from hearing about your ministry and maybe some of the unique aspects of it, maybe some of the unique things that have been happening over the past year since, you know, things went crazy nearby Ukraine. So first of all, please just start us out by telling us about yourselves, who you are, where you're from, where you serve, and kind of what's been your journey leading up into this point. Yeah, thanks, Nick. So <clears throat> my wife and I, we've been out in this part of the world for quite a while. I came to Europe in 99 when I was 22 years old and went to, I was finishing my studies at Calvary Chapel's Bible College in Austria. And then after after finishing my studies, got on a train and went to Ukraine, ended up in a small town in northeastern Ukraine where I was part of a, a larger church planning team. And so we got to help start a couple churches in northeastern Ukraine, a couple hours north. So altogether lived in Ukraine for five years. And then the Lord kind of changed our plans and we just we understood that he wanted us to move to Moldova. We eventually, and probably a year year after kind of understanding that, moved to a small town in the very north of Moldova called Brichen, and where I whatever you want to call it, replanted a church. I ended up taking over an existing church that had kind of gone through the ringer, uh, you know. By calling it a church, you know, I mean, we're talking like eight people. And so that's why I'd call it a replant. It was, it needed to get reestablished as a church. And uh, yes, we were, we were up in the North for six years pastoring that church. And then, you know, kind of believed our time there was done and we needed to move on. We ended up moving from there to the capital, Chisinau, in 2011 and helping to helping to plant another church, this time a Romanian-speaking church here in the capital called, we call it Methanoia. And so we were partnering with a Romanian national who, you know, he would be considered in that situation the senior pastor, and so I was kind of working as like in a, an executive pastor role. Yeah, and so we've been in Chisinau since 2011. Here in Moldova, you know, we had our three boys were born here, so we have you know, we have, we have three boys who are now 16, 13, and 11. And yeah, so currently serving, serving, the, serving Metanoia, head up the, the, the church's home groups ministry, you know, do, I mean, do kind of a lot of other little, little things, but, and then on the side of that, six years ago, I started, I started a, a business. So we live in the, you know, I live in the fast paced, super sexy world of carpet cleaning. And yeah, so I have a, here it would be more like a like a rug cleaning shop and so we have a large shop with like industrial equipment and yeah cool yeah you know one of the questions i'm often asked about moldova is like where is it and tell us about it. so hey, Teresa, could you help our listeners know like where is moldova what's unique about it what's the short version of its history oh, moldova is a former rep republic of the soviet union it is in Eastern Europe, sandwiched between Ukraine and Romania, it is landlocked, though we have kind of been given a very small port on the river of 400 meters. Moldova has been tossed back and forth between Romania and the Soviet Union and whatever through all the history of Europe and the different kingdoms and empires that were there. So they've 
have so many different ethnicities here. I mean, it's mostly Romanian. There's a lot of Russian speakers because of the Soviet Union. We have, everybody has family in Ukraine and Romania and all over there. Did I miss anything? <laughs> yeah. So, and maybe, maybe just give us a little brief intro on who you are and like your journey up to this point. I know a lot of it overlaps, of course, but yeah, I, I went to school at Calvary Chapel Downey and church in Hosanna, at Hosanna Chapel, which is affiliate of Calvary. And they are my sending church. I went separately to Ukraine. I went to the Bible college, Calvary Chapel Bible college in Austria when it used to be there. And there were so many missions opportunities the, through the Lord led me to Ukraine through confirmation. He led me to Ukraine and I went to, to the same town that Stephen was in. And that's where we really got to know each other and mm-hmm. serve together and then moved to Moldova. Cool. Yeah. And so for anybody who doesn't know, I mean, those places, are, it's all in Southern California, like Los Angeles oh, area. Yes. LA County. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Okay. So Stephen, I wanted to ask you, Tell us about like ministry in Moldova. I mean, what's unique about it? What are some of the unique challenges? What are some of the unique, perhaps like opportunities and things that God's doing? Yeah. So what's, what's unique about Moldova? You have kind of two cultures here in Moldova. You have a, you know, you have, you have a, a Latin, you know, Romanian culture here. You have a, a, a Slavic Russian speaking culture here and, and they are in in some ways distinct. I mean, there's a lot of overlap because people are just living together. There's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of similarities to life here in Moldova. Like if you were to compare it to life in Ukraine or life in Romania, you know, but yeah, Moldova is just kind of somewhere in between. The people here, a lot of people, they would consider themselves Romanian, but at the same time, they're pretty proud of just being Moldovan, you know, like, so that obviously you know, the first, if if we're talking about ministry challenges, many times it's divided right there along, along along the line of language and then also kind of geopolitical leanings, you know, like, you know, Russia, a lot of Russian speakers here tend to have a very Russian mindset, especially when you're outside of the capital in the smaller towns, they're watching, you know, Russian television and so they're thinking like a lot of the people in Russia, you know, and, and then you have, I, I would say the, you know, the ethnically Romanian people here, they're, you know, they're, they're proud to be, you know, Romanian speakers and they, they definitely think more like people in the West. So that sometimes creates some tensions, but churches here are for the most part, they're either a Russian speaking church or they're a Romanian speaking church. So you kind of, kind of have to choose your own adventure in that, in that way, if you're going to plan it, you know, you'll have people who know both languages. Most people know both languages. There is kind of a double standard when you go towards the Russian segment of the population. Many of them don't know Romanian, so they'll know Russian, but they don't know Romanian. Whereas most Romanian speakers will, for sure, they know Romanian and they usually know Russian because they're forced to learn Russian. One of the challenges now, you know, especially for for Russian speakers here is that the, you know, the country is ideologically, geopolitically moving west and, and Russians not being forced to be taught in the schools anymore. And so you have a generation that's growing up that actually doesn't even know Russian. And so, you know, 20 years from now, there's going to be a large portion of the population that's not doing anything in Russian, you know? So, Opportunities. I mean, there's just always opportunities for the gospel. I mean, Moldova's, it's one of the poorest countries in Europe. And so there's a lot of, there's just a lot of physical needs. And, and, you know, if you looked at, if you look at, it's very similar to, you know, most places in Eastern Europe in, in, in the way that, you know, people, people here, they live a pretty raw life. You know, they're, they're, they live very close to their needs. They know what it's like to do without a lot of things and to get by with very little. And so I, I've found, I've found that in general, people tend to be pretty real when you talk to them. They're not in their, in our conversations, you know, they're typically willing to talk about pretty serious things. It doesn't mean that they're always open, open to the gospel, but it seems like there's a I don't know. If I was to compare Western Europe to Eastern Europe, I would say that in this, I'm very subjective and biased, you know, but I would say I, I 
prefer the Eastern European mindset. It seems to be at least that much more noble in that like they're at least there's at least more of a willingness to wrestle with the real questions of life because because they are wrestling with the real questions of life. They you know they're they're living <laughs> yeah the the average person is is living in a much more raw down to earth state and it seems like that kind of complements or or it yeah it just it helps with building those types of relationships. So like people here, you know, it's probably very similar when you're in Hungary. You know, it's like if, if you make friends with people, like they're your friends, you know, like they don't toss the word around lightly. They don't, they don't waste their smiles, you know, and for people from the West, they, they think people are cold. They're not, they're, they're not cold. They're not cold. They just don't waste their smiles, you know, but like when you get to know people, you know, if they're your friend, if you need help, you know, they'll give you the shirt off their back. You know, they're going to be, they're going to be showing up to help you move. You know, they're, they'll loan you money and, and that. Yeah, that dynamic is, I think it's, spe- it's something special, at least that I've noticed in Eastern Europe. And yeah, and we've seen, you know, especially in Ukraine and here in Moldova, we've seen the Lord, you know, use that context, you know, to to see a number of people come to the Lord and at least begin moving towards coming to the Lord. It's, yeah, once, but you have to build relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, I think you covered a little bit, but like, what's your take on the spiritual climate of Moldova? Yeah. My, my take is that I would say there's a general, there's a general openness. It's, it's different. I can't, I can't say that I understand everything that the Lord is doing at any given time in history, but it's different than when we came out this way. You know, we, when, when we were living in Ukraine, you know, it felt like it felt like, you know, we were just, well, first of all, you know, we were Americans in East, in Eastern Europe when they hadn't been exposed to very many in person. And so we were just like flypaper. It was super easy to get people's attention and to, and to hold it for right and wrong reasons, you know, like, but there was, there was a, there was a, I would say in general, a greater openness. And we saw larger, like people in larger numbers coming to the Lord, especially when we were in Ukraine. But I, you know what? I, I think, I think the real thing is, is I, I, people here are, are ready. Like there are people here who are ready for the gospel. It just needs to be preached. Mm -hmm. You know, like the, I mean, it's the same gospel. I, you know, I, even, even in the West, wherever it is, you know, it might, we could say it's, you know, cool down or whatever, but I think wherever, yeah, wherever the gospel is being faithfully preached, like God is, definitely willing to to work and and we see that so yeah there's yeah the gospel just needs to be preached here yeah (laughs) that's cool okay tell us tell us about your carpet cleaning business like what made you want to get into as you said the super sexy world of carpet cleaning tell us why you got into it i want to know kind of like is there anything theological or missiological that had to do with you getting into that business yeah so I would say my my reason for starting a business it is it was for sure a missiological reason. I began I began thinking about starting a business or helping to start businesses when we moved to the north of Moldova. Excuse me. When we moved to the north of Moldova, you know, I I tell people here that when you know when they come to when they come to Chisinau, they're not really coming to Moldova. They're coming to Chisinau because it's just all the money in the country's here, but you know, you, you move outside of Chisinau and that's where you see real Moldova. I mean, it's in some places, it's like going a hundred years back, you know, and you're talking, you know, horse-drawn wagons and the dude out in his field with a sickle, like people, you know, most people living out in the village, I mean, they don't have water in their homes. They have an outhouse out in the yard. And so life is just really different. And when we moved to the North of Moldova, we found ourselves in a very different context, you know, where, it's, it was a small town, you know, there's not even a streetlight in the city, you know, I think six, 7,000 people, something like that. And, and one of the things that I became very conscious of very, very early on was that there's not very much work. There's not very, you know, economically, you know, the, the area is very depressed and people, yeah, people just really struggling to get by. And so f- where that became an issue for me is, you know, we're, you know, we're 
trying to reestablish this little, this little fellowship. And, you know, and we are obviously, we're, you know, we're preaching the same gospel where we are trying to invest our lives in, you know, in the people who are coming to our church, you know, myself, particularly in the men who are coming to the church and, you know, lots of good, good, you know, resourceful, competent guys. And, and, but over the years, just, you know, one by one, you know, they're, they're leaving, you know, they're leaving Berchen. Usually they're not coming to the capital. They're just leaving the country to go provide for their, you know, to provide for their families, you know, cause there's no work. And so for me, it was a, it was a really big source of, of frustration and like disappointment because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do my thing. You know, I'm a, I'm a church planner. I need people to come and, and then, and the people are just, they're, you know, we're hemorrhaging people, you know? And, and so it became, it became very, very difficult to create any kind of momentum with that ministry because all the people that, you know, the people that I'm pouring into are, they're leaving, you know? And at first my, you know, my initial response was, you know, disappointment and, you know, honestly, judgment, you know, you know, these people are not, they're not spiritual. They're not, they're not willing to take a hit for the, for the kingdom kind of thing, you know? And I was very, you know, critical and not very generous, you know, in, in my heart towards them because I mean, the reality was I'm not, I, I think I just wasn't really understanding their situation very well. And, but as, you know, as we spent more time up there and, I think particularly when our kids began to show up, you know, so now we're not, you know, this little, you know, husband, wife, you know, duo where, you know, wow, I got, you know, first kid, I got a second kid. I'm like, oh man, these, these little guys like to eat. They, they like to be clothed. They're kind of expensive, yeah. you know, and just begin to realize like what other actually, actually realize what other people are probably thinking. And, um, you know, I begin to understand that these guys, I don't think most of them wanted to leave. You know, I mean, why would you, why would you want to go to a foreign country where, you know, nobody knows you, nobody, nobody is waiting for you. Nobody's going to miss you, you know, like, but they were doing it out of necessity. And, you know, and I, you know, and I know, you know, sitting across the table from these guys, they would say, you know, dude, I'll, I would stay. Show me how, like, show me how to stay and I'll stay, you know, but like, don't put, don't put a head trip on me. You know, don't put a spiritual trip on me, like show me how to stay, you know? And I just, I, I, you know, I, I just came to the very real, you know, the very real conclusion that, you know, there are seriously practical questions that we need to think about if, you know, if we want to not only plant churches, you know, plant this church, but if we want to plant other churches, especially in the smaller context, you know, in the smaller town context, in the periphery of the, of the country, or pretty, I mean, here in Moldova, almost anywhere in the country, because the situation is the same. We have to really rethink how are we going to approach this, you know, because if people can't provide for themselves, you know, yeah, they're not going to stay very long. You know, they're going to, they're going to answer that question one way or another. And, uh, and so for me, it was, you know, I had a couple questions that were just kind of ringing in, in, in my head for the last, yeah, 17 years now, I guess. You know, how, how do I plant sustainable churches and how do I plant reproducible churches? And by sustainable, I mean not systemically dependent on, on Western financing. Teresa and I, you know, for, for, for good and, you know, for good and for bad, you know, our situation is we've always had enough to live, but we've never, we were never those people where like people, nobody's sending us thousands of dollars to build buildings or, you know, Hey, do this initiative or whatever. We're just, we're up in podunk nowhere. I don't know who knows we're there, not other than like our home church. Like, I don't think many people know. And, and so if we're doing ministry, like for us, it was always about like, if we're going to do something, we're doing it with what we got. Like, that's it. You know, we don't, we don't have endless amounts of money to do things. And, and, uh, and that was good for us, you know, because it forced us to think about like, well, what, what would a normal church do that was here that didn't have a huge amount of financing coming their way? You know, they would, they would 
do things probably very similar to how we're doing them. It also meant that if we leave, there's not much changes. It's probably going to continue the same. And that's, and that's a huge thing. Yeah. That's a super good point. You know, is, is that when, yeah, when we left, the church didn't hit, take this like massive financial hit because, because the church was always doing things on its own dime, you know, but, but that question, like, how do you, how do you get, how do you start churches like that? And how do you, how do you plant churches like that, that can, they can survive, you know, and, and, and take care of themselves. And, and one of the conclusions that I, that I was basically, that I, that I've come to, and I was kind of, yeah, compelled towards was, yeah, we got, we have to really think about, about job creation. We have to really think about how can we keep people here and that, yeah, they, they need work. They need money. It's all super practical. And, and, and I personally, um, having been out in this part of the world, I, I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to disparage like my, my, people who think differently than me, because I don't think that that's fair. I don't, so this is my, you know, disclaimer. I don't think that I have the only, this isn't the only voice or, you know, this isn't the only truth out there. I think there are a number of different ways to, to accomplish church planting. But I also, I also have learned that, you know, my pastor often said that ideas have consequences, you know, precedents that you set have consequences. So, the foundations that you build, you know, somebody once told me that time and truth, they always meet. And, and in the beginning, things can look super sweet and super effective and whatever with the way that people are planting churches. But I, I've just, I've come to a point where I'm not, I'm actually, I'm not impressed by anything that's less than 10 years old. I actually don't even pay attention, you know, because, because until it's about 10 years old, you don't really know what's really happening. And because then that's when, that's when the foundation starts to show itself. And so, but for me, I was compelled to ask these questions, you know, how, okay, how do you plant churches that, that are doing this and that are able to reproduce and not be systemically dependent because systemic dependence creates its own problems. You know, it, when the church doesn't have ownership, when the church, when the church just has an endless supply of money coming into it, people, they start to, you know, their conception of like, who are we as the church it gets affected by that, you know, like they, they, you know, this kind of becomes this mentality of like, oh, we do things if, you know, we would, we'd preach the gospel if we do that, if only, and it's usually attached to money, you know, many times. And, and, and so, yeah, so there was kind of like, it, it was a long process, honestly, moving me in this direction, but there was just kind of like this, I don't even know what to call it, but just this like inner refusal to believe that like Jesus is so small he can't provide for his church here in Moldova that that the Moldovan church itself can't can't thrive can't that itself can't be a missionary church and and so for me it it, it kind of you know painted painted me in a corner in the in the sense that where I'm I'm like forced to think okay then if that's the case if Jesus can provide for his church if 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 the church has He's given it everything that it needs to prosper and to thrive and to spread the gospel. Then, then it means we're not asking the right questions. We're not rock. We're not. We're not knocking on the right doors. And, and maybe even worst of all, maybe we're afraid to change. Maybe because change might mean some very real things to people. If we're talking about how churches are financed, how missions are financed. And uh, the answers, at least part of the answer that I came to, I was kind of inspired by something I had heard about how the Moravians used to do missions. You know, they were, if, you, if you're familiar at all with them, you know, they're, they're you know, a missions movement out of the Czech Republic, what, Czechoslovakia at the time, what, can no, you correct it was, me? No, it was actually, I think it was, actually, they were Czechs from, who had gone to Germany as refugees. Okay, thank you. And they ended up on this guy's property. That's uh, right. Nicholas von Zinzendorf. That's right. And they created this community. But yeah. yeah, go go for it. And so, but so that dude was rich, but most of these people were tradesmen. You know, most of these people they were they were not they were not the wealthy class. And but they had a fire in their heart to spread the gospel, and to take the gospel to places it had not been taken. And at least what I've understood was part of 
the way they did things was that they would, you know, they would typically send a small team of tradesmen, you know, and obviously these, you know, people within this team would, you know, they'd be gifted in different ways. You know, they'd want to have people gifted pastorally, you know, as an evangelist, as a teacher or whatever, but, but they'd go somewhere and they just understood, like, first of all, we don't have an endless supply of money supporting this thing. Nobody's waiting for us. Nobody probably particularly even wants us initially. And, and they would go, but they were tradesmen and they would go. And so the blacksmith would open up a blacksmith shop or whatever, the cobbler or cobbler shop, whatever. And, and, but, and I, and I, I just remember, you know, hearing about this and thinking, you know, there's so much wisdom in that, you know, there's a lot of pluses in, in that, you know, like they, they showed up at a place. They're not, they're not leeching off the, the culture that they're going into. They're not being perceived of as social parasites in any way. They, they went there and they would, they would use their trades that they already had and they became a useful part of that community, but not only a useful part, they became a part of that community. So they're in very natural ways, building relationships with the people who are there and, and using those relationships to preach the gospel, you know, and, you know, and, you know, as the Lord blessed, they'd, they'd establish churches, you know, and eventually establish schools and all kinds of things. And, and just that idea, you know, one of the things I, I also personally wrestled with as a missionary. Teresa and I are still sponsored, you know, from from the states. Um, but one of the things I've also wrestled with was how people perceive us as missionaries, particularly here in the former Soviet republics, and and how that, you know, I can I can I can basically just tell you what a converse, a typical conversation would sound like with between me and almost anybody, you know, hey, you know, what's your name? My name's Stephen. Where are you from? Oh, America. Wow, that's crazy. Why are you here? You know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor of a church. I'm a missionary. I'm, you know, whatever. And, and immediate kind of like, oh, oh, okay. You're one of those. And, and as much as, as much as I, you know, wanted to get around that and, and be like, you know, convince them, convince them that, you know, Hey, I'm here, you know, I'm here because God sent me <laughs> whatever you want to say. Like the reality is, it, you know, on a very natural level, I just noticed that this kind of wall went up this, you know, this kind of like barrier that you, you can't see it, but it's there and it's shutting down the conversation in many situations. And, and it doesn't mean God can't work be through that. He did. And we saw it so many times, but it was just this natural barrier that I saw that these people are there. There's a calculus like that's happening in their mind. You know, they're, they're, they're sitting there going, because this, here's the other thing that they would say. And I hear this a couple times a week, even today. Wow. That's crazy. We all want to go there and, and you came here. Like why? And, and, but that answer, that, that answer, you know, if, if you just take even a second to think about it, that answer, you know, when I explain it, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, to them, I sound, you know, like I'm, you know, Mr. Altruism, you know, and I'm here for the, you know, doing this and that. But for them, this, most people are thinking about it in very simple terms. You know, they're going, you know what? The reason we want to go there is because life's good. You know, we want to leave here because it's hard. And, and there's not, there's not really any opportunities. So here's the calculus. The only logical reason you're coming here is that you're benefiting from it. Like you, you must be doing okay. It, I mean, it must be like in, in your interests to come here, you know? And so now the onus is on me to, to like, I, I have to like prove my motivation to them. And, and you know what, that, that only happened like that happens. Yeah. When people are like right next to you, of course, like if people, you know, the people that's usually how the Lord did it was people just saw how we're living and they, and they just saw us day in and day out. And, and he used that as proof to them, you know, but how much better if, or, or like, I think that there's just a little bit, there's wisdom. If you could take away that natural barrier some way and, and by, so starting a business, say for say myself, it, it, now I'm, I'm here, but I don't have to be here. I'm providing for myself. So, so that question's answered. And now, now the onus is on why, why would a dude do that? Like, why, like, 
why would you do that? And it trips people out, you know, and I've, and I've noticed, and I've noticed in my conversations with people like that, that, that dynamic has changed. So why starting a business? Like there were several reasons. First one was, you know what? We, we need to keep our people here. That was my very first reason. You know, we need to keep people here need job creation. The second one was, I, I personally just didn't like that dynamic in relationships. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I thought that it would help. And I'm, now I'm convinced that it helps. Third, it, it, it provides an opportunity, a very natural opportunity for me to be a part of the community and to meet people in, in a very natural way, where, which is important because now... You know, in the 90s in Ukraine, and this plays into like the, you know, what's the spiritual atmosphere of these places? The gospel has come. You know, in the 90s, there was this huge wave, like massive amounts. I mean, literally hundreds of millions of dollars spent bringing bringing the gospel and helping churches here in Ukraine and in Moldova. And so, I mean, outreach is out the wazoo, you know, like, I mean, just so many and, and people, they've heard it. They've been there. They've done that. You know, like it, you don't have the same effect. People, they, you know, they do mass evangelism. They try to do mass evangelism events now. And, you know, it's, it's 90, 95% Christians and maybe 5% unbelievers. It just, that dynamic has changed. Like that ship has sailed, you know, like the, it just doesn't work that way anymore. And, you know, the Jehovah, you know, then you have the cults that are here, you know, you know, the Jehovah's witnesses and and we have the Mormons here now. And, and, you know, they're the, they're knocking on people's doors and people are tired of it, dude. And so, you know, cold Turkey evangelism, I, I, I actually, I still believe in it, but it's become more difficult. Yeah. You know, I got saved that way. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. I got saved that way. So I'm not against it. Like I'm not against it. But I'm just saying, like, the dynamics have changed, you know? People aren't as willing to just sit down and give you half an hour of their time anymore. But, but what I have noticed is that, is that as a businessman, so now, you know, we, I don't know how many clients we have in our database. It's, you know, 10,000, something like that clients. And I, I have literally met personally several thousand of those people. I've, I've personally had several thousands of conversations over the last several years with those people. And, and many of those conversations, like I'm searching for opportunities to, yeah, I'm searching for opportunities to share my faith, you know, and many times I've been able to, and like, to be very honest, you know, when, when we were, just strict church planting in the kind of traditional sense. If I was to honestly compare the the amount of gospel exposure, it 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 far exceeds, actually. Like the amount of people that I have actually, you know, I'm a Christian because because this is the thing, and this is the thing is I I don't just introduce myself as a businessman. Like like that's the first thing I say, and the second thing I say is, but the real reason I'm here. Is, is I'm here to tell people about Jesus and I tell it to people all the time. And, and, but yeah, I've, I've been, I've been able to do that far more times, you know, than, than when I, than when I was, I guess, in, you know, in the traditional role of a pastor and, and I don't want to disparage like people who aren't doing things that way. I don't want to say that this is like this, this is not, it's not the silver bullet. It's not the only way to do things. But I've, I've found that there are, there are benefits. Yeah. When I was in Hungary, I, uh, I had a time period where I started getting jobs and part of it was because my wife was a Hungarian citizen. And so, you know, not every missionary had the opportunity to do that. I know it changes mm-hmm. depending on context, but I always tell people one of the best, most fruitful things I ever did was get a job. And cause I met people who were not walking in the doors of a church. They were yeah. walking in the doors of a school or of the university. Yeah. Or at one time, I always tell people, I worked at a prosthetics factory, which is very strange. But all that to say, like, yeah, I was meeting actual people. And there, it removed a, a real barrier in society yeah. to 
even just meeting people, which is like a missionary's dream, right? Like how do I meet people and have deep conversations? Yeah, and well, it's not weird. Yeah, exactly. No, this is great. So you know what I was thinking about is that I think most of the world is actually more like Moldova than it is like the West. Mm. And if we want to see the gospel reach the whole world and we want to see churches planted around the world, I think that even as Westerners, we need to think differently. Like maybe there's a different way to do it. And you're talking about like money and the spiritual aspects of it. And I was just thinking like that idea that there's a dichotomy between like work and spiritual life. I think that can only really function in like a a very comfortable mentality where your needs are already taken care of. Because, um, you know, I remember talking to people before and they'd say about poverty they say, well, poverty exists because people are lazy. And if you would just work and be willing to hold a job and work 40 hours a week, like a normal person, they might say, then you wouldn't have struggles with poverty. And I'm like, well, you obviously have not traveled very much because I knew a lot of people in Eastern Europe who worked 50, 60 hours a week for nothing. And they were never going to have more because... You know, I mean, it was very difficult. Yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no opportunity for moving vertically. Yeah, totally. You you feel like you're in a cul-de-sac, just going in a circle at the end and never getting anywhere. You're stuck, and so I, I think that that's really important. And you know, that the thing you're saying about money and jobs being a spiritual matter. I mean, providing for your children. I think that's a spiritual matter. I think that being able to stay in a community. And here's here's another way I was thinking about that. You mentioned that. Moldova has this like you're hemorrhaging people, one of the highest emigration rates. Yeah. One of the things I always thought about with Hungary, sometimes we'd have mission teams come and, you know, like people would, missionaries would come and they marry somebody from the country and then take them out of the country. And we were always kind of sad to see that because we're like, this country needs more Christians, not less. And you just came here and took the Christians to the place where there are a lot of Christians. Mm-hmm. And that was always kind of sad to see. But I mean, think about it like this. If you're doing evangelism and you're hoping that not only will you help single individuals get saved, but you're also hoping that you will start a gospel movement in which those people will become disciples who then evangelize others. Yeah. In their their context. Yeah. Like in their lives. An indigenous movement. Yeah. You need those people to be able to stay. In order for them to be able to stay, you need them to be able to provide for their families. Yeah. Well, here, here. So here's, here's, here's a thought that I've had like over the years, and 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 there's there's a number. I mean, I'm for sure not. Uh, <laughs> it's not anything original, you know. But but it's the idea of like you were saying that dichotomy between the sacred and the secular. You know, like like these are spiritual things, and then these are all the other things that we do. You know, so work is kind of lumped into that thing. And, you know, I know I know that there's been kind of a, a resurgence of redeeming just even the concept of work, you know, but that's a that's a that's a huge thing because there there's there's a number of people that I've come across. I mean, I've actually I've actually had people I've had actually good friends of mine literally ask me, so are you still a missionary? Like, are you even still a missionary? You, so what, what's the implication there? You know, that what I'm doing is not, there's nothing there. there it's not spiritual. I'm Stephen's just working now. And you know what, if there is a minus to, you know, to businesses mission, it can. So here, here, here's the, here's the problem with some businesses mission is it actually is just business. And if, and if that's all it is, then that is, that's a problem. But if, but if there's a, missiological impetus behind it, you know, like that, that that's what's actually driving what you're doing. Then you know what? Now we're getting where into what I have come to understand is, is a, is a paradigm shift. That's super important that everything is holy. Everything is holy. Everything is meant to be redeemed, you know, like, and that means that means that that means that everybody every christian whether they're you know officially paid staff or whatever it is in their context god has you where you are 
for a purpose, for his purposes. And that includes where you're working. So God wants to redeem that. So, so I'm being, as a missionary, I'm being an example of that. How can I live for Jesus and be a carpet cleaner? How can I use that as a platform to spread the gospel? Okay, you either see you either see it that way or you don't. Is it? I mean, I can just clean carpets, right? I mean, I can just do that, and people do it all the time. Or, you know, I can be a construction worker for Jesus. I can be a lawyer or a nurse for Jesus, and 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 see that. Wow, you know what? Eight hours a day, like that. That third part of my entire life is, is intended to be redeemed, you know? And so, and so I, I, I think super, actually for the, for the church, for the Western church, for any church, we need to help people see that God is doing so much more than, than what's happening on Sunday. So much more than that, that actually that's probably where the bulk of what he wants to do is going to happen, you know, like, and, and because here's, here, here's another, here's another thing, you know, a lot of, a lot of, and this is also not an original, like turn of phrase or whatever, but I remember somebody saying this to me, you know, like we're called to make, like we're called to make disciples, planting churches is a part of that, you know, but a lot of people, a lot of missionaries that I've spoken to, you know, somebody else said this, but I would agree with them. They said, you know, I don't think they're planting churches. I think they're planting Sunday services. And if you're planting, do you see the difference? Because if you're planting a Sunday service, that means everything revolves around the little building that you got. It revolves around everything that's happening on a Sunday, all the equipment that you need. And and that's like, that's that's the the majority of your like energies and focuses are going there. Whereas in, instead of, instead of like focusing on how are we releasing everyday ordinary Christians into, into everyday and ordinary life so that, and with a vision, with a vision that God through his spirit would do extraordinary things there and reveal his glory in, in those places where people aren't going to come to the church, you know? They might be, yeah, anyway, yeah, there's a lot of things that you could say. <laughs> That's really good. And I'm sure there's, there's more we could talk about on that. I do want to switch gears a little bit because a big part of mm-hmm. life in Moldova has been affected by the Russian invasion of Ukraine that took place. As we're recording, it's almost a year. It's about 11 months and some change. So, Teresa, I'll start with you. Like, just tell us a little bit about your experience. How has the Russian invasion of Ukraine affected Moldova? What effects has it had on your ministry and on your family? Immediately, it had an effect on Moldova. Everybody was shocked and already waiting for people at the border. We knew refugees were coming. The church knew refugees were coming. And it was the church that was first at all the borders to meet all the refugees with kilometers long of people waiting and their cars dying in line and walking to try and cross the borders. The church was already down there trying to help people get rides wherever they're going. Most people wanted to go through Moldova, but there are a lot who stayed who wanted to stay and were hoping that the war would end in a couple of weeks and were saying, oh, we can go back in, in a short time. But so Christian summer camps that had no heating were opening up and trying to get heating in there because it's the winter and letting Ukrainians stay. They were filling those places up. Churches got mattresses as quick as, quickly as they could and filled their sanctuary up with mattresses to let people stay the night, stay several nights. Some people are still, I mean, they're still here, still staying at churches even now. People were up all night long trying to figure out, I know Stephen was up all night long trying to figure out how to help get a, a call center going so that churches could communicate with one another and help each other and and share resources and and. Yeah. Yeah, and you you guys are really close to Odessa, right? I think that's what may, many people may not realize is that like Chisinau, Moldova, it's very close to Odessa. Yeah, so most people from Ukraine that come to Moldova are from Odessa, Nikolai, those areas, though there are from other places. There was there was a, a very loud noise one morning and 
everybody swore it was a bomb they heard go off in Odessa. I don't know if that's true. We haven't heard anything since, but it was it was pretty crazy. And then when the electrical plants were hit by Russia, our power went out. And since then, I mean, we've only had a couple days where we've had those power outages. They've managed to get power in from Romania because we used to get a lot of power from Ukraine. So we're doing okay now with that, but it's still a, a big effect on the economy. All the prices, 35% inflation. We don't get a lot of uh, products that we used to get from Ukraine. Like all the supply chains. A lot of cheaper stuff was from Ukraine and that and from the east and now we get more expensive things from the west and it's hard for people financially. Yeah, how about for your family? I mean, for our family, I mean, we brought home refugees. We had several different families stay at our house. Our boys gave up their bedrooms. <laughs> everybody that we know. Everybody that we knew had had yeah, yeah. had people coming to their place. I mean, it was there was just there was just no choice. I mean, like so that was February 24th. You know, I was down at Polanka, which is like 25 kilometers from Odessa. And there's literally thousands of women with their children in the snow coming, you know, coming, coming through and they have no idea where they're going. And so for us, it was just like, yeah, like <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't about, it was just how many people can we fit in our house? No, it's, like how many it, people can lay on the floor? Yeah, it seemed you know? all of Moldova was ready. There were so many people that took in refugees, a constant flow of refugees in and out and helping them get to where they're going to family members in Western Europe or wherever they could find a place to stay or find a decent refugee status. <laughs> and our, our boys did well. They they were very gracious in, in sharing our home with them. They have some Ukrainians in their classes now at school. They, they go to Russian schools. Yeah. There's Russian and Romanian schools, but the Ukrainians understand Russian. So there's some who switch to the Russian schools here. Is there any fear or concern that Moldova might be invaded? There have been different times, points where there has been fear about that. Moldova can't fight it probably won't be a fight like in ukraine it, it, it won't be a fight like in ukraine we have i think i i just recently heard we have the third smallest military i think in the world wow so it's, i mean like the number of our soldiers is in single digits or thousands so it's likely to be less dangerous though i don't know that you'd want to be under mm. russian occupation hearing about the things in in ukraine and a recent new <laughs> statement by one of those Russian leaders, I don't remember which one, <laughs> that Moldova is the next Ukraine. We don't know. We're not, I mean, Moldova is not taking it so serious at the moment. It doesn't seem like they can make it this far, though there is the sliver of Moldova that is surrounded by Russian soldiers and has been since the end of the Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah. we, we have our own like breakaway version or region. And for those of you that don't know Moldova, we're, we're like the size of Maryland, I think like that. And we have... We actually have our own little autonomous republic in the center, and then and well, then the we East. have this breakaway version called Transnistria. Oh uh, yeah, and and it's there are fifteen hundred two thousand Russian keeping Russian peacekeeping troops there. We actually have the the single largest cachet of of arms Russian arms, like I think it's thirty five kilometers from us right now in in Europe. Well. Yeah, so how would you ask that people be praying for you guys? Well, there are still a lot of opportunities to serve refugees and Moldovans here that we would be brave and wise knowing what to do, what is needed, what is most glorious to the Lord. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, wisdom, I guess, yeah. I mean, wisdom is just what's the what's the what's the needful thing right now? You know, that we would understand the times because the times change. And this situation is, is obviously not normal. I hope that it never stays the norm. But, you know, there there are needs, there are opportunities that are now, you know, that the, the church has has the ability to leverage different things to take advantage of those things. And so, yeah, just wisdom and and that God would lead us by a spirit and that he would, yeah, that he would he would do things in and through us that we can't do ourselves, you know, but um, pray for, I mean, if you pray for, I mean, our family's okay economically, but like for a lot of people, it's, this is a really hard time, you know, like Teresa was saying, 35% inflation. I don't know. It's hard to get your head around. I'm, I'm still not getting my head around it, you know, and the cost of energy here is it, it, like 
right now it's it's winter time it is really really hard for a lot of people you know the natural gas that everybody heats with costs six times more than it did a year ago mm-hmm. a year ago it was still expensive yeah. for most moldovans yeah what's the average monthly wage so the average month monthly wage they say it's like somewhere between 250 and 300 dollars yeah. us and so that that does not mean that that's a livable wage that's just the average wage right yeah, so every family has to have multiple income streams. Right. You're struggling. You're, yeah, doing that's right. And, you if, can. and if they don't have multiple incomes in their in their in their household, they are stressed, and they're probably looking to emigrate. I see. Yeah. Okay. So if people want to know more about you guys, like keep up with what you're doing, is there anywhere they can do that online? I should be better at this than I am, but you can you can for sure. You can for sure friend us on Facebook. I mean, we're so just, I'm not very tech savvy. We're on, we're both on Facebook, Teresa Yates and Stephen Yates. You can email us, Stephen and Teresa at gmail.com. No um, H in Teresa. Come again? There's no H in Teresa. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, cool. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much. And uh, I, I would just encourage my listeners, he'd be praying for these guys, maybe reach out to them and be thinking really through some of the stuff they've talked about, like this idea of sustainable church planting, the ideas of the spirituality of work and money and all of these things and be praying for Moldova and for God to work here and also for the things they ask for, for wisdom and for provision in those areas. So thanks guys so much for your time today. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Theology for the People. If there's ever a topic you'd like to learn more about, there's a section on my website where you can submit questions and suggest topics for me to cover. That can be found at nickkady.org. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so yet. That way, when new episodes are posted, they will be delivered right to your podcast app. If this episode was helpful, please share it with others. And if you'd like to support this podcast, one of the best ways you can do that is by leaving a written review on the Apple Podcast app. That really helps boost this show and their ratings. So if you would do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Until next time, God bless you.